Listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. falling in love with God. That's our Christmas series this year has been falling in love with God, not the stuff. We get so easy caught up in all the blessings that God gives and God is a blesser. The Bible says he rewards those that diligently seek him. We know that God is a blesser, but so many times we can get so caught up in the stuff, the blessings that we forget the blessor, that we forget him. We don't always understand, as we discovered last week, his love. Why? Because Psalms 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness, his love, everything that he has is unsearchable, which means what? It goes beyond our understanding. So therefore, last week we discovered not the thought of understanding his love, but rather just receiving his love, receiving the love of a father, receiving the fact that he loves us, I love this, with an unconditional love. That means there's nothing I can do in my life that will stop him from loving me, that his love is still there towards me if I choose to accept that love, which means, again, despite it all, Thank God he still loves me. And I could go on recapping our previous messages, but I want to hurry today and proceed because I believe I have very important things to say today. From the beginning of this message, I want to warn you, this is not a feel-good message. This is not going to be one of those messages that's perhaps going to give you warm and fuzzy feelings. But rather, I believe this is a message that's going to challenge the very core of our Christianity. A message that's going to challenge the thought of what we have made Christianity to be. A message that will challenge us to look once again within our hearts and lives and ask ourselves the question, are we masquerading or do we really know what it is to live totally sold out for Jesus Christ? I'm not going to teach you controversial theology today. It's not going to be controversial stuff, but rather we're going to take it straight from the word of God, challenging you and calling your life to be different. Listen to me, Christianity is not just a label that we wear. For many, it's become that. Oh, I'm a Christian. It's like a little badge that says, hello, I'm a Christian. I've said this so many times, but if you have to tell someone that you're a Christian, perhaps you're not as great a Christian as you possibly thought you were. An orange tree does not have to wear a badge that says, hello, I'm an orange tree. You know an orange tree is an orange tree by the fruit of which it bears upon itself. We should be recognized as Christians, disciples, followers of Christ, by the fruit that needs to be evident from each one of our lives. 
Christianity is a lifestyle of total surrender and discipleship to Christ. But yet, we have made Christianity to fit our mold. What we think it should be, our interpretations, our opinions, instead of following after the mold that we see and we can read in God's Word. What it means to be a Christian, I don't have a say in. Did you catch that? I don't determine what it means to be a Christian. Even as a pastor, I don't determine what's right and what's wrong. What is right and what is wrong? What does it mean to be a Christian, a follower of Christ? God has spelt it out in His Word, and He doesn't need our help. But it's up to us to follow what He has said. You know, many of us have many spiritual books, and it's great to read Christian books and books that will encourage you. In fact, one such book I've been reading, it's called Crazy Love by Francis Chan, has been a lot of the inspiration for this series as I've been reading through that. And and there was a wonderful book that I'd read a few months ago that we taught a series on the blessed life, talking about living a life of blessing for God. And there are many other great, phenomenal Christian authors and books on numerous subjects out there that can really help you in your life. But here's my concern. There is no substitute for reading God's Word. This is my concern today. Christian books should complement God's Word, not replace it. And what's happened is, instead of us finding the truth of things like... What does it mean to be a disciple, a Christian, a follower? Instead of us finding it from God's Word, we've looked to books and others' opinions. And you've got to be very careful when you start basing your life upon man's opinions, his interpretations, and his study, instead of going to the source for yourselves. I want to encourage you today, put down the books and pick up the book. Come on, put down the books and pick up the book again. Let's get really technical right now or techie today. Put down the Facebook and pick up the book. Come on, put down the books and pick up the book. But Pastor Philip, I don't understand it. Well, you never will if you don't read it. Before you turn and open your Bible, pray and say, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal to me that which I'm about to read. Ask God to reveal it to you. Begin, I think, a great place to start in the Word of God is begin in Matthew and read the four Gospels. Begin to read the story of the life of Christ. But as you would read through the Bible, and I pray that you do, you would read through the Gospels or wherever you would start or wherever you would read throughout the Word of God. Someone said it like this, and I like what they said. You don't pick up any book and start in the middle. Why not start at the beginning in Genesis and make your way through? But wherever you may read, I believe that there is a conclusion that you can draw from what God's Word says. And this is not something that I have fabricated. I believe this is something that we see. We see a conclusion that we can come to, and that is this. When we look at the commitment that God requires or Jesus asks for every one of us, we will see throughout the entirety of the Word of God this answer. He wants all or nothing. He wants all or nothing. 
to try and say that we're a Christian without being devoted or a devoted follower of Christ is absolutely ridiculous. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read verse 44 and 46 and keep a note in there or a finger in that passage because we're going to be turning back to Matthew 13 and a few moments later in this message. But in Matthew 13 and verse 44 and 46, we read these words. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hid in a field, which a man found and he hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has in order to buy that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a beautiful or beautiful pearls. And when he has found one pearl of great price, What did he do? He went and sold all that he had to buy it. To buy that one pearl. In these three verses here, we see two examples of two people that did what? They sold everything that they had. But there's a word that's in there that really strikes hard to my heart when I read this. They joyfully gave up. Everything they had to go after that one thing. To go after that one thing that mattered. What they went after was of such great value than anything else that they possessed. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about going after God with everything in your life. Living a life that is totally sold out for Jesus Christ. Not just when I feel like it, but giving everything to God. We've found a pearl, come on, of great price. We've found a Savior like no other. And it's time. That we joyfully give up everything else, abandoning it all for the cause of Christ, being so in love with Him that everything else becomes such a distant second. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look this morning, beginning in verse 3, as we're going to read verse 3 through 9. And we're going to read of the parable, as it's called, the story of the sower. A parable which is a heavenly story with an earthly, or an earthly story rather, sorry, with a heavenly meaning. Jesus would share the truths of the gospel in practical ways so people could comprehend it and those who wished to could understand what he was saying. So here we are in Matthew 13 beginning in verse 3. Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and they devoured them. Some seed fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell amongst the thorns and the thorns sprang up and they choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty and some thirty. And Jesus says these words, He who has ears. I think that's every one of us in this place today. Jesus says everyone who's listening right now, no exception. 
you need to hear. Let him hear what has just been said. In this parable, we see three main ingredients or parts. We see the sower. We see the seed. And we see the soil or the ground. So we have the sower, the seed and the soil. The sower is God. In this story, it is God who is the sower. The seed is the word of God. That which is shared abroad. It's the instruction. It's the manual for living. When you get something, and a lot of you as parents, Santa Claus brings things that are not made together. They need assembly. And parents go out and bribe batteries because Santa often forgets to include batteries. But what do you do? You grab the instructions to make something fit together. The word of God, the seed is that which, when applied, will make our lives fit together. And then we see the soil or the ground is symbolic of the life of the believer. Or more specifically than that, it speaks of the state of each one of our hearts. How is your heart? In the story, we see that there are four different types of soil or ground that are mentioned. There's the wayside or the pathway. Back in those days, they would leave a piece of ground that was unprepared all around the edge of the field. For what reason? That people could walk around. The wayside was a pathway that was around the field. Then there was the stony ground. Then there was the thorny ground. And then there was the good soil. For the sake of time, I don't want to dissect this too much today and stay here for too long. But I believe that there are very important foundational truths that we need to lay here today that we can build upon. When the seed was thrown out, the Bible says on the different types of soil, differing results took place. And if you were to read in verse 18 and 23, Jesus goes on to speak in a greater depth, explaining the message of the parable to his disciples. But notice in the differing results, there was only one place of harvest. Let me say that one more time. In the four soils, there was only one soil that we read of that produced a harvest. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to it. So on the pathway, the wayside, as God the sower threw out the word, the Bible says because of lack of understanding, the seed was quickly stolen away as the birds came and they ate it up. On the stony ground, the rocky ground, When the seed was thrown out on the rocks, it couldn't take no root. And because there was no root, there was no endurance. It sprang up really quick, but it didn't have depth. And it did not last. On the thorny soil or ground, the seed was able to take root. But as it began to grow, it was strangled out, Jesus said, by the cares And the deceitfulness of the world. Then the good soil. 
It grows. It takes root. And the Bible says it produced fruit. In telling this story or parable, Jesus was really asking every one of them that day a single single question. He was asking them, what type of soil are you? What is the state of your heart? What is the state of your life? Just like most, I'm sure, of that day, our reply would probably be the same. Oh, of course, it's good soil. I'm good soil. As children of God, none of us want to think of our lives or our hearts as anything else. God forbid. Except, we're, oh, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm good soil. But is that really the truth? I would beg to differ that statement or that reply. Because I think today, as Christians, as children of God, we have become soil that chokes the seed because of all of our thorns. By thorns, I mean those things that not only distract us from God, but those things that we have allowed to take His place in our lives. If I was to ask everyone in this place individually this question today. Do you want God? I believe you would be a fool to reply anything other than yes. But you see, there's something else that we would also have to add in our answer. We want God. But yet I want this too. And I want this. And I want this. And oh, I can't let go of that. Oh, this just a little bit won't hurt. Today we have said we want to follow Christ. Today we have said we want God, but yet we want a bunch of other stuff too. And you know what that is? That's thorns in our soil. That's things that will strangle out. God's working power in our lives. We've discussed the fact that here is a God that has no equal. He is so awesome. He's the incredible creator of this world. He spoke and things appeared. The one who is beyond every description and imagination that we could ever try to muster up in our frail minds. Yet he made it possible. A great God made it possible for you and I to be in relationship with him. But yet today we insult His greatness. His unconditional love by desiring so many other things in our lives. In the book of Exodus in chapter 20, we see that God gives the children of Israel ten commandments. The first commandment that he gives them, we read in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment he tells 
the children of Israel these words. You're to love me first. Come on now, help me out in this place. You're to love me first. I am to be the number one of your life. Now, he didn't say that you couldn't have other things. But he said they need to be in the right order. But like everything, what do we do? We look for the loopholes in everything. And what have we done? We've created a problem in the fact God says, me first. You can have other things, but make sure I am first. Why? Because those things, well, we want God, but those things, those, you know what those other things do? They strive to be number one in every one of your lives. Think about it. They strive to be number one. Some of you don't come to church because there's a football game on. That's a thorn in your soil. Come on, I'm preaching the truth today. Some of you don't come to church because you're too tired. Well, why are you too tired? Because you stayed up doing something that was ungodly Saturday night. And you can't wake up for church. What have you done? You are placing other things. Come on, I'm preaching the truth today. You are placing other things before your relationship with a God that so loves you. There's nothing wrong with these things in the right context, but we've got to watch because they strive to take your attention, to steal your affection, that before you know it, they are more important to you than God. I always say this, there are 52 dates on my calendar every year that have already been marked down as opportunities for nothing else to take place. What is that? Hey, church every Sunday. Come on now, I don't have to look at my calendar and see what I'm doing on Sunday, the the 25th Sunday of next year. I know where I'm going to be. Oh, Sunday. Oh, I think I've got something on on Sunday. What is it? Do we have something on? Yes, you do have something on Sunday. Those things, they have the tendency to pull us away from God. Never to establish or to strengthen our relationship. Revelations 2.5, I don't have it on the screen, but we know the scripture. He says these words. He says, there's one thing I have against you, and that is this. You've left your first love. What does that mean? You've kind of wandered away a little bit. You've allowed other things to steal your attention, that you've left that which is the best, and you've gone after the pursuit of those things that are not so good. Our relationship with God cannot grow when money Sin, activities, addictions, other people, relationships, other commitments are what? Are piled on top of it. We'll smother it out. It won't grow. They will eventually choke it out and kill it. Perhaps today we need to take another look at our answer and reevaluate what we said to the question that Jesus asks. Is my life good soil? Is my life good soil? Here's some other questions that can perhaps help you with that. Has my relationship with God actually changed the way I live? If it hasn't changed you, You've never experienced God. 
I told you it was going to be strong today. I'm just preaching to the truth today. I'm sick of all this feel good, everything's good and everything's fine. Let me tell you something. If we're going to fall in love with God, we better be totally sold out, committed to him. Joshua said, as for me and my house, this is how we're going to serve God. As a pastor of this house, this is the message that we're going to preach in this house. We may not fill the place because it's not the most popular message. But can I tell you, there's coming a time where people are going to be piling in through these doors. There's going to be standing room only because people are going to come searching for the truth. Because all that other stuff is not going to change their life. They may be affected a little bit, but I don't want to be affected. I want to be transformed. It's what God's word says, that I can be transformed. A new person. I said a new person. So is my life good soil? Has my relationship with God changed the way I live? Do I see the evidence of God's word in my life? Or am I slowly choking it out by spending too much time, energy, money and thought on the things of this world? Let me throw in a quick commercial, if I can, for our 21-day fast. It actually begins January the 10th, not the 9th. Every year, we start off our year with a 21-day fast. This is one of the main reasons I fast. Because I want to put my life back into proper perspective. Because I can allow so many other things that will rear their ugly head to begin to control. And it's my time where I get alone with God and I push those things aside and say, God... I want you to be the number one of my life. I want him to be first. I pray as you hear these words from this message today that you are feeling uncomfortable. You are feeling the conviction of God as God is pinpointing in your life the thorns. It's amazing, isn't it? There was good soil under the thorns. But when it grew... Was strangled out. For all the greatness that we see in the modern day church today, and I believe that there are many great things that's happening in the church world today. I love the church. I am passionate about the church. I don't care what negativity people may throw out. I believe that there is still power in the church of God, and I believe it's important. I believe it's more than important. I believe it's an utter necessity that you are in church with your family. I believe the people who don't come to church, they're going to struggle if they do make it. You may say that's bold words. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus left us the church for a reason. He gave us the church for a reason, that we can come together. So there are many great things that are happening in the church. You know the only negative thing that's happening in the church world? It's the members. We're the negative. We give it the bad name. But in the modern day church today, it has also become a difficult place to fit in if you still want to live out a New Testament Christianity. Listen to what I'm saying. If you want to live out a New Testament Christianity, the modern day church has become a difficult place to fit in. Today, we choose the pathway of least resistance. We want a safe, balanced life that we can control. To be called a radical for Christ would be absolutely disastrous for most of us. 
Because a radical is someone who's over the top. That's someone who's crazy, that's weird. Is it? Let me throw out a question to you today. What type of Christian living demonstrates a life that is totally sold out? What type of Christian living demonstrates a life that is totally sold out? One that lives as close to the edge as possible? That has compromise on speed dial or listed as one of his favorites? Is that what shows a life that is totally sold out? Or is it a life of one that refuses to water down, to dilute the image of Christianity. You know what they say about a watered-down gospel, don't you? A watered-down gospel will only equal diluted results. Diluted results will come about as a watered-down gospel is preached. So today, are we totally sold out? Are we in love with Jesus? Or are we half-hearted, lukewarm? Or partially committed. Let's look at that thought lukewarm today as we turn to Revelations chapter 3. And we're going to read today from verse 15 through 17. And it says these words. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm. And neither cold nor nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. As a result of their half-heartedness in their response to a relationship with God. As a result of lack of devotion, a turning off and on like a switch when it suits them, wanting God but yet wanting other things also. The Bible tells us such a person is lukewarm. One of the best translations that I could give to the word lukewarm personally is this, good for nothing. Good for nothing. No matter how you try to package it and present it, the message is still the same. The truth is the truth. You can try and wangle through these verses. You can try and skip over them if you want, but they're still there. God says... A life like that, I will spew that. Some translation says spit that. But I like how the New King James says, I will vomit that. The word spit in Greek connotes a gagging, a hurling, or a reaching. It's clear that being in a lukewarm state will never constitute a relationship with God. God says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You see, when we begin to live lukewarm, 
When we begin to live a life that's kind of committed, but not totally committed, just doing enough that we can call ourselves a Christian, wearing that label instead of understanding it's more than a label. We'll begin to pose these kind of questions in our lives. How far can I go, but yet still be saved? How far can I go, but yet still be saved? Hebrews 2 verse 3 says these words, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Do I need to tell you how great salvation is? Every one of you that's experienced salvation, you know the greatness of it. Come on, do I have a witness? You know the greatness. Once I was blind, but now I see. Something took place in my life. But yet, because of the lack of devotion and commitment in our lives, we ask questions. How far can I go without losing that salvation? Salvation is all about relationship with him has become on how far can I go instead of never desiring to ever want to break the heart of God. We've forgotten what it means to really please him. Just how far can I go? How far can I go? How much can I get or do? And still be safe. Thank God for grace. And grace isn't just something you pray over your food. Thank God for grace. That's unmerited favor. That's something that you and I will never deserve. But God still gives it to us. Thank God for his grace and mercy. But you know, we better watch that we're not taking that grace for granted. Galatians 5 verse 4 says this. You have fallen from grace. That's strong words right there. You have fallen from grace. What the author of Galatians was telling the church was, Paul was telling them this. He says, you cannot have it both ways. That's what he's saying. You can't have it both ways. And this is what he goes on to say. The effective operating power of God's grace, because it is effective. How many knows that? It wants to operate and change our lives. The effective operating power of God's grace becomes ineffective in the life of anyone. Who trusts in his own efforts instead of in God for his salvation. You can't have it both ways. When you wanted to live on the edge, you better watch out because you are closer to the edge than you possibly thought. It's either his way or it's your way. Remember when we were talking about the parable of the sower? I said, hold that thought. The differing results or the differing types of soil and the different results But there was only one place of harvest. You see, that day, Jesus wasn't giving them four choices. Jesus wasn't saying you could be one, two, three, or four. That day, Jesus was telling them there was only one choice. And that's the good soil. Yes, he was identifying the other soils. But notice only one ever produced a harvest. John 15, verse 2. When Jesus is referred to as the vine, he says the words, 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Literally means he lifts up, he uproots, he gets rid of. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That day, as Jesus spoke the parable of the sower, The intent of Jesus, therefore, was to compare the good soil to the ones that were not legitimate alternatives. Unacceptable. To him, there is only one choice. You and I, Christians, church, whatever you may call it, we are the ones that has lengthened the list, making other things acceptable. Come on. It's okay to do this. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to be this way and it's okay to be that way. I'm going to say this and this is not in my notes. But I'm going to say this today because I believe this is in my heart and this is in what we have for this church. I believe today that so many people are dabbling with alcohol and saying there is nothing wrong with it. Can I tell you right now, there is not one family that alcohol has put together, but there are countless millions. It's destroyed. There's not one life that has been benefited by the fact of alcohol, but there has been countless millions of young men and women whose lives have been snuffed out at the hands of a drunken driver who does not know what they're doing and where they're going. You and I turn around and say, well, a little bit won't hurt. It doesn't stop at a little. We've heard about that. The little wants to take control. It wants to overcome us. When we're feeling maybe a little bit depressed, that little becomes a little bit more. And then it overtakes and overrides our life. And then all of a sudden, it's taken the place that God wants in our lives. God says there's only one choice. One choice. Oh, we'll make the changes in our lives but only if it affects our salvation. That's why we ask questions like this. Can I divorce my wife, but yet still make it to heaven? Instead of getting in God's word and asking God to give us a love and showing us what it means to love unconditionally in our lives, we just ask questions of how far can I go and still be okay? We ask questions like, can I still drink, smoke, take drugs occasionally and still my name be in the book? Instead of turning around and saying, God, I want to live sold out, totally changed by you. We ask questions like, can I still be a Christian even though I'm having sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend? But yet in God's word, we see that it shows the parameters for such living is only in marriage. The covenant of marriage. Unfortunately, the list goes on and on. We all know the questions all too well, but they are more than just questions because beneath the questions, we discover something today, and that is this. Beneath the questions, it reveals the state of our hearts. Why are we asking those questions? What is the motive behind them? It's not because we want to love God more. The motive behind asking those questions is, how much can I get away with but yet think I still love Him? Come on, I'm preaching today. We've become more concerned about going to heaven than we have falling in love with God. And my Bible tells me as a result of a love relationship with Him, heaven is my prize. 
Heaven is my reward. Come on, the Bible says that when I'm in love with him, I'm going to make it to heaven. But we're more worried about making it to heaven instead of that which takes us there. And that is a love relationship with God. Remember the scripture we used last week, Matthew 22, 37 and 38. A religious leader came to Jesus and he asked Jesus this question. What's the most important question? Or the commandment, he said, what's the most important above everything else? What's the most important thing that I need to do in my life? What did Jesus say to him? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Here, or this, is the first and the greatest commandment. Here's what it all boils down to today, and I'm almost done. Can you go to heaven without truly and faithfully loving Jesus? Can you go to heaven without truly and faithfully loving Jesus? Can I live a lukewarm life? Oh, wanting God, but yet, thank you very much, I'll still hold on to this. Oh, putting God first when it suits me, but other times, oh, I'm too busy or I don't have time. Can I go to heaven living a life like that? You can have your opinion today. But I thank God we don't have to base the answer upon opinion. We can base it upon absolute truth today. And the answer in God's word is two letters, not three. And the first letter is N and the second letter is O. No, 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 no. If you were to read through God's word, like I encouraged you all at the beginning of this message today, I don't see how you can find anywhere that the answer could ever be yes. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he died for you. But the choice of acceptance still falls at our feet. Before you shout me down today and disagree with me, let me read a couple of scriptures to you. First John 2, verse 3 and 4. Now by this you know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He or she who says, I know God, I'm in relationship with God, I'm a Christian, and does not live the Christian life, does not keep his commandments. The Bible says he is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's one of those scriptures, I think, that doesn't need much explaining. It's clear all by itself. It's self-explanatory. I think, don't shoot me down, but I think that that verse means this. That the person who claims to know God but doesn't obey his commandments is a liar and that the truth really isn't in him. That's what I think that verse means. Luke 14 and verse 33. So likewise, whosoever or whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be called or cannot be my disciple. You cannot be a Christian without being a follower of Christ. As I close this morning, Jesus gave the great commission. The last words that Jesus gave to those 
as he was being taken up to heaven. I think the last words are pretty important, don't you? Every word of Jesus is life. Every word of Jesus is important. But here it is, the crowning moment, his last words that he was to say to those that were left, the last instructions that he would leave. What does he say to them in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. Notice that word there, all things that I have commanded you. I don't see there anywhere in any of the Gospels where Jesus adds a small print disclaimer that would say, hey, if that's too much to ask, then just tell them to become a Christian. You know, the ones who get to go to heaven without having committed to anything. A lukewarm, half-hearted, partially committed Christian is an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? It's not a detergent that you use to make your laundry clean. It's not a cream that you put on to take away sores. An oxymoron is a word of opposite meaning that's used together, such as that's bittersweet. How can bitter ever be sweet and how can sweet ever be bitter? They're two separate things. So therefore, to call yourself a Christian but yet live a half-hearted life is an absolutely oxymoron. There is no such thing. Come on, people who are lukewarm are not Christians. They're not in true relationship with God. And that's not a judgmental or condemning statement. That's the truth. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. You cannot expect to live like hell and receive the blessings of heaven. It doesn't work like that. The message of the Bible is clear. He wants everything or nothing. He wants everything or nothing. But pastor, I don't understand that. I'm new to it. I don't see because how can I give him everything? I can't do that. I was in a place once in my life where I thought, how can I do that? And I began to realize that all I had to do was take one step towards him. And he would take care of everything else. Just the little that I did have, my lack of understanding, the thoughts that I thought, I cannot do that. But as I began to say, God, I trust you. God, I'm just going to give it to you. As I began to surrender my life piece by piece, I began to watch as he began to envelop my life. He began to take over my life in a good way, not like I'm a robot and I can't do. I began to realize now my life is clicking exactly how it was created to be. There is no life like living a life of Jesus. You've never experienced life until you've experienced life in Jesus. Your salvation experience is immediate. But the sanctification process is exactly that. It's a process. We may not be cleaned up straight away, but we're forgiven. Come on. And God says, I can begin to work with a life that is committed and yielded and given over to him. In other words, you don't have to be perfect to be saved. And if you did, none of us would be saved. But as we say yes to Jesus, he begins to perfect us. 
He's got a long way still to go with me. But He's cleaning me up. Because He said He would be faithful to complete that. He would be faithful. My greatest gift that I can give God. We all know what it is today. It's us. It's our lives. To give Him our lives. All we've got to do is take that step. The gospel message is clear. Come all to Christ. But the gospel message also says, give all to Christ. Without Him, the songwriter says, without Him I can do nothing. But with Christ, lukewarm, don't be like that. Would you bow your heads in this place today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.